It's good to see everybody tonight. How's everybody doing? Give a thumbs up if you're doing all right. No other broken wrists out there, I hope. Okay, good deal. There was a lot of thumbs up, man. There were a lot of thumbs up. Yeah, man. All right, well, it is uh, 6 o'clock. Let me get this going here. And uh, we'll do, if I, if I have to run, Colton, you can. That's uh, totally fine, man. You just, yep. Yeah, that's what we, we support each other up here. Uh, the main thing that, I don't know if she put that on here. Okay, yeah. Uh, look at the back page right quick, just so we can be sure to get this covered. If you are available to help uh, take a couple of meals to Marty Luffman, as you know, Marty is a, a member here at our church and has been through a terrible uh, car wreck several months ago and uh, is still uh, struggling to, to recover. His primary caregiver, uh, Joe, is going to be out of town this weekend, uh, taking some time off. I think he'll see some family somewhere. And so we are trying to get meals organized for him this weekend specifically. We have everything covered except Friday evening at 4 p.m. and Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. So we only have, two, there's only two spots that we need to fill. If you could do that to take him a meal at, at, at those times on those days, please contact Rhonda Lanham and her phone number is right here on this sheet, okay? And we'll go ahead and begin. Yeah, man. All right, we stopped in chapter three. Yes, we did. But before we go there, why don't we go to Acts right quick, Colton? Let's do it. And let's talk about where this church was born right quick, just as a little build-up into, uh, into the actual study this evening. Absolutely. Okay. And we'll do this for just a minute, and I'll go check on Micah, and then I'll see how that's going, and then I'll come back. All right, what we have here, uh, Acts chapter 16, if you want to know where the Philippian church was born, okay, like where in the Bible, the book of Acts gives you that narrative. I highly recommend in, in your Bible study practice, as you read the, the epistles in the New Testament, to go back into the book of Acts and kind of network those letters uh, back to the narrative and the story of the birth of the early church and then the missionary journeys of Paul, okay? Yeah. So when you look here, let's just, I'm just going to read it quickly, and then we'll, then we'll jump back into Philippians. Uh, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, aha, the son of a Jewish woman uh, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy, that's the Timothy that you hear about in the scripture all the time. Y'all know, you know what I'm talking about, First and Second Timothy? This is where Timothy came from, Acts chapter 16, in the city called Derbe. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Uh, what they are talking about there is the previous chapter in Acts chapter 15. Remember, that was the Jerusalem council where the controversy uh, had happened, where the Judaizers were trying to force circumcision and adherence to the law on the Gentiles. So they had to have a big meeting and kind of hash that out and go back to the prophetic, uh, to the prophetic voice of the Old Testament and see that it was not necessary that was, that that was not intended by God, that they did not have to be circumcised uh, to be saved. So that's, that's what he's referring to there. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Here, here's the Philippians part. This is where Paul was redirected by the Macedonian call to go to Philippi. Okay, I'm in chapter, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. 
and I'm in the English Standard Version, so your version may be a little different, may sound a little different. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Isn't that interesting to hear that? And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, did you hear that? Are y'all hearing that? How the, Holy, this Holy, how the Holy Spirit is guiding Paul to where he wants Paul to be. Amen. So not every direction that we want to go is normally what? It's not always God's will to go the direction that we think we need to go. Sometimes we're not meant to go that direction and God will, will somehow stop us and redirect us a different way. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And, of course, the million-dollar question there is, who was the what? <clears throat> who was the man in the vision? Macedonian men. We, we, we don't know <laughs> the Macedonian men, right. Some people think it was the jailer. Some people think it was Jesus. We just don't know. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And then we see the conversion of Lydia, mm. and then we see um, because of the, uh, of the gospel that they were preaching, um, they, uh, if you jump down to chapter 16, verse 16, we'll just jump over Lydia. I want to get to the, to the conflict that happened. Thank you, Stephen. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But that angered, just let me summarize, then that angers the owners of the slave girl. And so they go after Paul and Silas and basically put them in prison and beat them and jail them. Then the earthquake comes, frees them. It's, it's really a, an incredible story. Incredible. And then they leave and go to Thessalonica. You know, read that whole story. You know, and one thing I, I was just going to say is I, I love one note to take out of this is how, how is the church started? How does a church begin? It's predicated, it begins from the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. That's what they did. They went into an area and they would proclaim the gospel. And it's always the gospel that initiates and begins a church. Uh, the commonality that we have in Christ. It's not when we go into a place and we build a building, right? That, I mean, because again, this is the place where we gather, but is that is the building the church? No. No. The bride of Christ, the church, is you guys and, and me and Shelby uh, and the rest of the church, right? Universal. And so I just, I think we have to kind of program, reprogram ourselves to think about that, that, that it was when Lydia was saved and these other converts, when they were saved in these areas, that was the initial beginning of the church in those areas. Not when, not when Paul decided, hey, let's, let's put up a tent revival. Let's get this thing going, you know, and then like, oh, there's a church there now. No, it's like when there were a few believers that started to believe the church was founded and then they built on that. That's it. And so, so, the, so the book of Philippians, remember, and, and this, this was just, I always tell you this because it's just a great help to me. Because when you, you read through the New Testament, you see these, these letters with the name of the people groups that the letters are sent to the churches and the areas. So, so the letters are always in response to some form of issue that has happened in the church. In Philippi, it's a letter 
that's sent back to thank them for who they are, how they've made mm -hmm. him joyful. Uh, they, they were part of this offering that was this collecting. Because one of the things that Paul does is when he goes to all these churches, he collects money and then he gives it to other churches that are in need. We know, we know that there was a severe famine in Jerusalem that he collected for at one time. And, and Paul's heart in all that, uh, Paul's heart in all that was what? Between the Gentile and Jewish church. Unity, right? So he's trying to take the Gentile church offerings to the unity as an expression of love and care uh, to them to help, to help solve any divide that might be there. So in this letter, now we go back to, to Philippians. And Colton, I'm going to let you take over, and I'm going to go check on Michael right quick. Yeah, um, one other so, thing I was just... Yo. He's what? He's on, the, he's on the way. He's on with, who took him? Okay, okay, good. So was it broke, do we know? Or? Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> it's going to be okay, man. It's going to be okay. I know, I know it's going to be okay. God's still good. Yep. Of, of all kids. You know, just to get your brain back on track here, I was going to say, you know, when you talked about context, do you guys ever remember doing book reports as, as a kid, right? And, and what would we always do? If you were like me, if you were a slacker like me, you know, and a procrastinator, and you just like very last minute did your, your homework for your book report, what did you do? You, you went to the beginning of the book and you read kind of the synopsis in the back of the book and read the synopsis. You read the end, you read the middle, you read the front, but you're missing, and, and the teacher, right, is totally duped by this, isn't, aren't they? No, no, you think that you're so sly and so smart, but what are you missing that they know you're missing when you try to do a book report without the context and the details, right? It's like, it's the same with reading scripture. When you read these epistles, it's like you're jumping right into the middle of a novel and you have no clue the backstory. You don't know the beginning. You don't know where it started. And so this is why it's so important why we really like to emphasize going back and understanding how this church began. What was the context um, that, you know, the fact that Paul's in prison, you're not going to understand, um, you know, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why Paul's saying that, if you don't get the full context of him being in prison, where is he in prison, what's going on in his life, that kind of thing. And so that's why context is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've been singing that song and dance ever since we've been together. Amen. It's how important context is, which is why every time we, we preach the gospel, we try to back up a little bit and re-anchor everybody in the context. Because if you're going to get to the true meaning of the scripture and what God wants us to know from the passage that we're in, you have to back up and do that a little bit. It's just, I mean, it's just like trying to read a book. I mean, if, if, you, if you only read one chapter a week and you, you're four or five days, you haven't picked up that book. If you don't remember really well what you read, you've got to back up a little bit and reposition mm -hmm. yourself. It's like when you start a, if you watch a series on Netflix and your wife jumps ahead of you, you know, three, <laughs> three, three sessions, y'all ever had yes. that happen? I way mean, more applicable, right, yeah, guys? Applicable. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, so what do you have to do? Do you jump right in on the session that she's in? I don't know, because you're not going to know what the heck's going on. So you've got to, you got to back up those, those, those three episodes and catch up. You got to do your homework. So you can know what's going on. You, you got to do your homework. You do. Yeah. Now, now the, of course, the detriment to that is, is that when you do that, she just sleeps instead of watches the sessions that she's already seen. So uh, that's, that's not fun. So anyway, <laughs> giving y'all a glimpse into my life. So I hope it's okay. <laughs> uh, and so if you go to your Bible, we're going to be in chapter, we're going to be kind of about midway through chapter three, I think in verse 13, but let's just do a quick recap of the, of the other chapters. And we are going to try our best to be done on time tonight. Um, so chapter one, 
you get the salutation, the, the beginning of the letter where he speaks about joy. Uh, you know, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, verse 3. Uh, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's how we need to think about what we do here. It's, it's a partnership. You know, this is not an, an employee-employer relationship. Can you amen that? That's not what this is. I mean, we are paid to be here and that kind of thing, but, but, but we're not, this, this is a partnership between us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a family. This is not mm -hmm. a business, okay? Uh, and I am sure of this, that he began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, verse 6. I hold you in my heart, he says. All right, jump over to verse 12. And this is where, where we kind of got a kick out of, out of thinking about, like, the Apostle Paul being chained to a Roman soldier for a an 8- or 12-hour shift. Could you imagine that? Being chained to Paul the Apostle. I mean, imagine <laughs> the evangelism machine that guy was on those big, rugged Roman soldiers and just kind of picking their theology apart, talking to them yeah. all night long. Yeah. You know, going, because most of them uh, probably believed in Mithraism. Hey, man, how can Caesar mythology. be a god, man? He's, he bleeds just right, like man, you and Caesar, me. How can he be a god? Exactly. Be I know the one him. true god, exactly, man. Exactly, man, exactly. I can see it. I can causing, see him going to town. Causing all kind of trouble, right? Yeah, right. right. So you flip, go over to uh, chapter, uh, still in chapter 1. Um, we see where he says in verse uh, 23, Chapter 1, verse 23, I am hard-pressed. I love this, this to, live, to live as Christ, to die as gain. One of the, one of the most yeah. uh, one of the famous, so to speak, quotes out of Paul's letters that everybody knows. For to me, you can probably say it right now. For to me, to live is, to die is gain. Exactly. If you get down to verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul is wrestling with, with the two realities. The one reality is that when he, when he departs his flesh, he goes to be with Jesus, but he knows that while he's in the flesh, he is a help to those that are still here on earth. You know, it's kind of like us when we think about it. I mean, how, how wonderful it would be to leave this sick, twisted world, although there are many wonderful things about it, but there are many terrible things about it, to leave this world and go with Jesus. Who would like for that to happen? Okay, but at the same time, we have family, we have friends, we have a, some of us are married, have spouses, those types of things. So we know that our mission is not really finished here. So there's like this tension where we want to be with Jesus, we want to be in heaven, we know that that's going to be far better and glorious. But at the same time, we know that we've still got work to do here. So Paul kind of gives, uh, and, us, and I, gives I think, us that tension. I think, too, I, I think that we're, uh, if we're honest, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe, I, I feel like there's probably quite a few people who maybe don't, have not adopted this mentality totally yet of, you know, I'm, I, I want to go home with, to be with the Lord, you know. I think there's, there's kind of a reservedness of maybe a fear of what death, you know, just, just a fear of, of death. The transition. And the probably. transition and, and just what all that entails. I mean, we know from Scripture a certain degree, but there's still some mystery there. Um, you know, I think we think about there's still some things we haven't done here, right? And I think the telltale sign of that is we, we panic over, um, you know, health issues in yeah, our lives. Sure. Tells me that that we're we're still trying to hang on to something here. So, continuing to pray for that mentality of man to to, to die is gain to be with to yeah. be with Christ. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Then go to chapter two, and this is this is you can mark in your Bible. This was this is believed to be 
an ancient Christ hymn is what they call it. That, that maybe this was um, this was like a uh, uh, almost like the, you hear some people say the Didache, which was this this thought that there was this group of sayings that the apostles had recorded that Christ said, and so that this was sung in in the early church, and it very well could be. Of course, the primary uh, the primary passage in here that most everybody uh, remembers is when it says, "Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Y'all have heard that. Raise your hand. You've heard that haven't you, your whole life. That's where this comes from. And this is considered an ancient Christ hymn that, that, uh, that, that Paul put in the text for us, that maybe Paul had heard it and that, that he believed it and then, and then canonized it when he heard and, it. And I, and I just have to say, I think throughout this whole hymn or poem, whatever it is that we're seeing here, I, I really, you know, studying again today, something that was really neat is seeing that this, this, this should be reflective of the Christian's walk in life. Oh, yeah. Humility on this end, exaltation on the next end, right? Yep. You see Christ in his ultimate humiliation on the cross, and then uh, he goes unto glory, right? He's, he ascends next to the right hand of the Father, and uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Well, guess what? We are humiliated in this life for following a crucified Messiah yep. and proclaiming him as Lord and Savior, that he's risen from the grave. Some people are going to think we're crazy and stupid. And some people are going to say, hey, I think I actually believe you. And then they'll be ridiculed. But we will be exonerated when our Lord arrives on the clouds, right? When he, when he raptures us up, you know? And so um, I, I think that it's neat this reflects what our Christian walk in life should look like. And it's, and it's kind of connected to the whole letter, the attitude of the whole letter. Awesome. Uh, then if you keep on going down, lights in the world. He, he, um, my, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible actually is in, is in Philippians chapter 2. Guess what it is? Verse 14. This needs to be put uh, in, in big three-foot letters <laughs> uh, all over the sanctuary and all the way down the hallway in every Baptist church in America where it says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Amen? Not a laugh in the house. You see that? That's how convenient. I laughed. I, I pre-laughed okay. for you. And, of course, one, a great thing to do in the book of Philippians is to, is to circle the word rejoice and joy as many times mm -hmm. as it is in this book because it is in there countless times. Uh, next in chapter 2, you see Timothy and Epaphroditus that wonderful name that we all wish we had. Um, you get a testimony of his faithfulness. Paul says in, in chapter 2, verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him to you. So Epaphroditus was obviously a very faithful Brother, he almost died. We read that in verse 27. All right, coming on into chapter 3, here's where Paul does the contrast between righteousness through Christ and a righteousness according to the law. It gives you a very, uh, Colton uh, talked about this uh, great last time talking about, Paul kind of says, you know, if you guys, you guys think that you have righteousness, 
you think you have righteousness according to the law. No one had it like I did, and I'm telling you that that is nothing compared to what? The righteousness that comes through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he builds himself up in all of his pedigree only to tear himself down and point to Jesus. So Paul says... Though myself, in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, mm. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And that basically means for, for us as Gentiles, it would be not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my good works. Okay, because that's not where righteousness comes from. Righteousness only comes through faith in who? Jesus Christ. Only through faith in him. So Paul draws that contrast where you cannot deny it. Okay, and then... You know, you know, something yeah. that's really funny there, uh, just a little note, that uh, just insight into Paul's humor. I really think this is a humorous moment for him. Uh, <clears throat> he's talking to these Gentiles, and he says, look out for the dogs. Who is he talking about? Who are the dogs? The Judaizers, yep. the Jews, and the Jews, what did the Jews call the Gentiles? Dogs, right? So Paul's flipping the script and he's saying, those are the true dogs you got to watch out for because they're, they're preaching a false gospel. Uh, trust in Christ. He is your righteousness, not your own ability. That's good, man. That's great. Yeah, I forgot about that, about the dogs. Okay, so here we are. We're caught up where man, we are ready. tonight. Good. So uh, I think we are anyway. So the price... Or the prize that should be good grief. I can't. I, I got to change that. Sorry about that, y'all. Everybody. In I just thought the price land, is right. This is, goodness. This is nobody's fault but the pastor's. It's okay, man. Going too fast when he's typing the slides. Now, the prize Paul gained is verses seven through twenty-one. So, what what was what did he gain? What do we gain when we come to know Jesus? Is basically what he's saying. One of the first things we gain is what? It's on the screen. We gain knowledge. What knowledge do we gain when we, when we come to know Christ? The way of salvation, right? That Jesus is Messiah. That we're what? When we come to know Christ, we also realize that what are we? Forgiven. Forgiven sinners. Exactly. So all this knowledge, verses 7 and 8, what does he say? He says... But whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. And then verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. All right, he gained a new righteousness, mm. a new righteousness. That's something that, that we realize that we have when we come to Jesus. That's where that, um, that's where that, all right, that's where we get that freedom uh, from guilt and the weight of shame that is on us from our previous life and the sin that we were enslaved under when Christ infuses or imparts his righteousness to us through our faith in Christ. Uh, we now have his righteousness and, and the, battle, the battle for our self-justification because we do that not even realizing that we do it, we do it. That battle is now over because we have Jesus' righteousness. Amen. We've got a new power. Where does that new power come from? 
Yes, the resurrection. I mean, I mean, the whole reason why we're sitting here tonight talking about all this and the whole reason why that we give what we give to the church and believe what we believe and carry our Bibles around and the whole reason why church is important to us is because we believe that 2,000 years ago a certain Jewish man was buried in a grave and what happened? He came out of it alive and came out of it with a body unlike anybody anybody that anybody's ever seen. How is that power for us right now? Great question. How, how is the reality of Christ's resurrection and the reality that we, in some sense, have already been risen with Christ, and, but also we will rise with him, uh, how, how is that power for us right now that we can access? It should take away the fear of death. Yeah. Boom. Amen. It should take away the fear of death, right? It should... Right. Right. We're not defeated. Right, and that's the, the yeah. eternal perspective, like we talked about in the in the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. You know, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the sad, blessed are the poor, blessed are the persecuted. Well, how how can we possibly think that way in this life? I mean, the way the world thinks, those are not blessings. The way the world thinks, those are curses. But Jesus said, "No, you're blessed that this happens to you because there's something more coming in the future." And it's the eternal perspective. And, and a Christian can never lose that. We can never lose the eternal perspective. If we do, we're going to go absolutely insane. We're going to go nuts because we're going to be so worried about that anxiety. We're going to be so worried in this life because there's another life that's coming that's much better than this one. And it's hard to believe sometimes, but it's true. And, that's, and I think what you said is, is, is dead on too. It's a very powerful thing because... Um, if you really invest into the theology of resurrection, then, then it does kill anxiety. Um, you know, I, when we have pains in our bodies and when we have uh, misfortunes in our lives and we realize that we are going to raise with the Lord, that this is just a small uh, comma in our lives, a small parenthesis in our lives, um, and then we're going we're gonna to go on to glory for eternity with the Lord. We're going to be risen with him. Uh, you know, exalted and new bodies. I mean, that should just that should just inform pretty much every bit of our lives. It should be one of the central thing uh, components of our theology and of our lives. A thankfulness that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, and that He's going to come back and He's going to raise us as well. Um, to me, that's just you know, it, it makes everything like you just said. It makes everything when I think about it right. It makes everything else here small. Uh, it makes my failures seem small um, when I think about, okay, this is just a shadow of the things to come, you know, and I, and I get so worked up on Colton, me, 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 uh, you know, me, myself, and I, I got to, you know, just build up my kingdom, and it's like, no, there's a way better kingdom coming that I'm going to love, and I'm going to get to see my Savior, and all this stuff is just, I mean, yes, I care, I want to be invested but I want to be invested for that kingdom, right? And so all of this stuff, like you said, I think that's one of the greatest powers for us right now immediately is it makes these things, you know, friendship squabbles and things like that. You talk about peacemaker. When you got resurrection on the mind, it's like, okay, come on. Like we're, you know, we, we've got eternity coming. Let's, let's get this figured out. That's, this is no big deal. I, I'm, I'm getting mad over cheeseburgers and, you know, French fries over here. This is <laughs> not a barking a, dog. Or a barking dog. Mm, mm. See, you did it. Okay, I there we go. I'm, I'm done. All right, so he gained a new goal, 11 through 17. Uh, not that I have already obtained this from already perfect, but I press on 
to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider, I'm in chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So his new goal is this upward call mm. of Jesus. And, and that's, and, and we, and we, I mean, I, I definitely think that what we just discussed is a huge part of that because the upward call is the call to eternity. It's, it's the upward call. You know, it's the same reason why steeples are on churches is to make you look up and think about God that it points to heaven. So you look at it and think about God. So notice this one thing I do in verse 13. He does what? Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. Mark 10, 21 says, And Jesus, looking at him, lo- loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So who was he talking to? I used that. Mm-hmm. It's very ironic. Yep. I used that very passage of the message this past weekend to talk about Jesus and his warning, talking about blessed, blessed are the poor. And one of those things, the economic, uh, the economic part of that is, is that the, the Bible is full of warnings about being what? Rich. Yeah. I mean, I can't help that. I mean, I can't spin that and tell you that that's not in there because it absolutely is in there. Yep. Uh, the warning of being rich. And, and one, of the, one of the foundational stories in the scripture that points directly to that is Mark and Luke, it was 18, and Mark is 10, 21, where Jesus comes across this rich young ruler who is filthy rich. And he starts talking to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And he says, well, you need to follow the law. And he says, well, I've done that. I've done that. He says, okay, well, one, thing, one other thing you must do, go sell all you have, give to the poor. And what did he do? Went away sad. Yeah. Sad. Yeah, and what, what does Scripture say? Money's evil. No. No, it doesn't, does it? Love of money. It says the love of money is evil. Yeah. Money isn't inherently evil. It's what our hearts do with money that's, right. that's, that's evil. And it's what, money, it's what money can do to you. Because, uh, because I, you know, I, I think some people, some people get money when they first get money. They don't love it when they first get it. Yeah. But it's after they have it for a while, and they get used to its comforts and its pleasures and the things that money can bring you. That's when the love affair begins with money. Because we begin to understand the comfort, begin to understand the power, we begin to understand that people that people look at us because we dress nice and we have nice cars, we have nice stuff, and then before we know, money becomes an idol and it becomes something we love. And that that's why you heard me say Sunday: if you don't think God will snatch that away from you to to, to discipline you and bring you back to Him, you're not reading the Bible thoroughly enough because He will absolutely do. He cares more about your eternal standing than he does any company in his life. And he will put you on your face, put you on your back to get your attention. He'll, 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 he'll go to your health. He'll go to your pocketbook. He'll, he'll do whatever he has to to get yeah. your attention. I love this quote from Jim Elliott. Uh, I, re- I read it last time, but just to remind you, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Just that yeah, he was, was the missionary that got killed yeah. by, the, by the tribe. Yeah. All right, let's keep pushing. Uh, we're going we're to run out of time. 632. Uh, note also, reaching forth to those things which are before. Uh, he, and he, he cites 1 Corinthians 9 here, uh, which, which is an interesting citation. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So do not, do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a, strong, that's a strong passage. A very strong passage. Okay? Yeah. All right. The prize is in verse 14. And who's that? Christ is the prize. Do you, do, you, do you think that way? Do you think of Christ being the prize? It, and I think probably you think of heaven or eternity being the prize. But, and, that, and that's okay. Uh, because, but just remember this. The only reason why you, you, you inherit eternity and you go to heaven is because of the one who died for you to get there. So don't lose sight of that. We don't want to be worshiping heaven. We want to be worshiping Jesus. Okay? So Paul appeals for them to have the same goal, verses 15 through 19. <clears throat> he gained a new hope, verses 20 and 21. We're almost done. But our citizenship, I'm in uh, chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. And, and here we go. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That, when you hear me use the term eschatology, say that with me. Eschatology. eschatology. Say it again. Es- eschatology. Say it louder. Eschatology. eschatology. Right. Mm. I'm just having to call me say it fancy. When you read a verse like that in verse 21, that, that, this verse is called an eschatological verse. Okay? This transformation, this, trans, this transforming of our lowly body, mm. okay, <clears throat> that happens at the second coming of Christ. That's when that happens. Yeah. When you die and your spirit departs your body, you, you could probably say that's a partial transformation. But the transformation that, that Paul is speaking of here is the final transformation when your body is transformed into the same body Christ had when he was raised from the dead. And that's what the Bible promises. Amen. The Bible promises that, that upon Christ's return, all of, the, all of those of us that love him and that are truly believers, those whose spirits are already with him are brought back, reunited with their bodies and transformed instantaneously. And those of us that are still walking around alive when he comes back, we're caught up in the air and our bodies are transformed instantaneously. And I preached a message one time and talked about that. And I had a guy, a professing Christian, come up after me after services and say, man, where are you getting such nonsense? And I said, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Thessalonians, uh, Philippians. I mean, how many Bible citations do you want me to give you? It's just amazing the, the, yeah. the basic theology that some Christians don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's just kind of scary. Yeah. <clears throat> I keep going here. Colton, you talk for a while. Okay, I'm going to talk for a while. I'm going to do 1 Corinthians 15, which is a glorious passage, by the way. And if you don't know it, uh, we will get new bodies. So, um, you know, that's just don't tell Shelby that, okay? If you don't know it, it'll be okay. <laughs> All right, so you can come tell me. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm impressed play. with this body I've got. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing. I don't okay. want a new body. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Yeah, he didn't cite that. Oh. He didn't cite Are you it. serious? You if you want to, just go to First Corinthians 15. Oh. Right it's right there. Stringfellow. I'll do it for you. No. Oh, oh, you got Okay. Uh, 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 oh, my goodness. I just, I love, this is like one of my favorites, okay? Okay, here we go. Okay, we're back. Guys, I feel so good. We're back. Okay, uh, verse 54, here we go. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the uh, mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Amen? Yep. We can't miss that, guys. And remember how he's saying that because if you don't say, oh, death. Oh, death. Oh, death. You kind of like antagonize and poking fun at death, right? Amen. You know, big bad death. Where's your sting? Your sting's not there because Jesus took it away from you. Amen. Talk about Halloween. We're scaring death. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yes. Come on, church. All right. Uh, he, uh, he cross-references 1 John 3, 2. All right, let's do it. Yeah, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Okay, so when he, when he says that, then the passage that you want to uh, cross let's, let's do, let's take care of that since we're there right quick. Go to, before I start spouting off, I'm going to be sure I'm right here. I, okay, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. If you've ever been at a funeral that I've done, graveside, I always read the scripture. Every time I'll be, you can set your watch by it, every... Funeral I do, I will all, Christian funeral, I will always read this passage. This is the rapture, okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do and have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, the ones that are falling asleep, when they will be brought back and resurrected first. And then the folks that are walking around, they get taken up. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Let me ask you a question. How loud do you think that's going to be? Do you loud. think the whole world's going to hear it? Absolutely. Amen. It, it will not go unnoticed. Okay. Mm. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, when you're talking eschatology, say that word again. Is that okay? Y'all don't mind me. You gotta say it fancy, it. right? Eschatology. When you... Come on, brother. Jim's going to Jim has got it. Hey, look, we're just a little more laid back on Wednesday night, okay? We can be a little more redneck. That's it's right. all good. You just, right. you just settle in. That's right. So, so when you think eschatology, think rapture, think end times, think tribulation, think the return of Jesus, all of that is, is eschatology. So we're here in the now, and, and the here in the now is characterized by suffering and pain and tribulation. But when Jesus comes, I mean, Jesus came the first time in humiliation, right? Right? When he came, where was he born? 
a manger, right? By a poor slave girl, Jew, right? But when he comes the next time, how's it coming? On a white horse. Exactly. So, so first time humiliation, second time in, in glorification. So that's, that's kind of how you flesh all that out. Yeah, man. That's what, that's what seminary does to you, man. It just helps you understand all that. Yep. All right, so Christ, our power and strength in life, chapter 4. Somebody say that for me. Somebody shout that for me. You got to shout it. Come on. It's a good one. I just, can It's do. in bold. Through Christ who strengthens me. Okay. Do you believe Boom. that? Good. The that does time. not mean you can throw a football 100 yards down a football field. That's not what, don't, don't shout that out, and then it, it goes like 10 feet, okay? And if, that's, it, that's, and if Clayton was here, he would say, you can serve in the nursery. <laughs> you can do that. You that's can. What, what Paul is saying is you can survive in prison and be content that's right. in Christ. That's right. So. so joy, the source of power in verses 1 through 4. The Philippians were a joy to Paul. I think that is that is so cool. ob- that is obvious from from uh, everything hey, you read uh, in here. Yeah, you, you know, just something that hit me as I was reading through Philippians um, because it's just a mediocre book. It's not like my favorite or anything. But uh, no, it's totally my favorite. I love this book. Um, and something that hit me, I, I love it because new things always kind of come at me. Um, Part of the power of the church, and I think maybe I mentioned this last time, but I, I'm a broken record sometimes. So I'm going to say it again. I think that we deny ourselves the power of being together and, and, and having fellowship with one another. Uh, I, I think one of the uh, main themes, another current theme that you see running through Philippians is a unity and a love for one another. That's, Paul starts out there in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And he's, he's urging them and he's hoping for them that they would grow in love and that that love would be tempered by knowledge and discernment. You don't want just, just unfettered love, right? Because that can go wild and crazy. You don't want that, right? You want love that's, that's harnessed, right? That's bridled by knowledge. Because so, you're not going to love someone right or well if it's not, if it's not channeled by knowledge. And you're not going to love someone well if it's not channeled and disciplined by discernment. Right, because you're going to look at someone's life, and as you discern, you're going to be like, "Hey, this is what this person needs." Based off of the truth, the knowledge that I have, I know the Bible, and I know what they need, and so now I can minister to them and love them. And I think we deny ourselves a great privilege when we're not together as a body of Christ. And it just is so evident in these days. I think it's one of the great weaknesses because we we are we like our Mick Christianity. Uh, we like the easy bake oven uh, Christianity that's quick and easy. Get in, get my dose, and get out. You know, and it's it it that's not the way we see in the New Testament church, in the first century church. It wasn't convenient church. What greater right? love would there be that someone would die for his friends? Right, right. But I mean, and even this, die to your football game. Mm-hmm. You die to your which I mean, everyone hates football. Conservative church. Don't say, don't say Willis Jeeves. So okay. die to your Willis Jeeves. No. <laughs> so invite people. Yes. Hey, yes. There it is. There go, okay. Boom. Okay. All right. I'm done. Okay. <clears throat> so joy, the source of power, verses one through four. The Philippians were a joy to Paul. Now, two women had a fuss. If y'all are in chapter four, look at verse two. Who wants to try to pronounce those names? I'm just curious. Oh, I'll do it. Well, let's give somebody out there a chance. Say it again. He got it. Sintik. Okay. No, Sintiki. Who wants to try the other one? Euodia, okay, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say Euodia and Syntyche is what I would say. Yeah, Syntyche. Boom. 
I, I, you know, I'm, I, I think maybe, Brandon, if y'all have another, another girl. Um, there it is. Sintiki. 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 I like Yodia. Huh? Are you going to name her Shelby, huh? Please don't do that. <laughs> oh, oh. I, I, man, I already get enough mail at the house that says Miss Shelby Hazard. All the oh, time. no. Oh, so man. It gets a little old, man. You know what I mean? So, man, yeah. we're hitting close to home now. We, we got to keep going. Close to home, man. I'm, okay. I'm not offended yet. Just close. <laughs> get close. All right, so notice the prominence of women in the church in verse 3. It says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, and, we, and we also know the prominence of women based on Lydia. I mean, Lydia mm-hmm. seems to have been a lifelong yes. supporter <clears throat> of gospel ministry for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and then joy is a command. Uh, verse, uh, verse four, rejoice. This was Angie's grandmother's, who is now in heaven, favorite verse in the Bible, in the New Testament. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, and I think sometimes people skip that last oh, verse yeah, 7 there. Yeah. What does that tell us? Uh, when you do this process, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and that's the point. When you go through things in your life and you don't understand why they're happening, you go through hard times. Maybe you go through a joyful time. You're like, God, what are you doing in my life? I don't really understand. Well, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind, that knowledge, right? It, it'll steer you and keep you in a moment of, of deep tragedy and in a moment of great joy. Either way, when, when we do this process of bringing our anxieties to God, uh, when we have thanksgiving, when we supplicate, that means praying for those who are in need, as we do this process and we talk with our heavenly father, he's gonna guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus and give us his peace that surpasses what we can't comprehend. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the point. We cannot comprehend, I mean, pretty much 20, uh, you know, 75% of the stuff that goes on in our lives. But God protects us. And I love that. Yeah. So, and, and he just explained all that. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I mean, and remember, uh, where is Paul when he writes this letter? Prison. Mm. Don't forget that. Yeah. So here he is in prison writing about the, uh, the, uh, the incredible peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So, I mean, as far as he knows, he's going to be, he's going to be executed. I mean, he yeah. doesn't know he's not going to be killed. I mean, who knows what's going to happen to Paul in jail? Yeah. And here he is writing about peace in the book of Philippians and joy. It's just, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. It's neat. It really is unbelievable. All right, right thinking uh, for strength and peace, verses 8 and 9. Uh, now, we are to think on these things. This is a really really neat verse that is really helpful uh, because I'm going to tell you, and and I am as guilty as this as anybody, but human beings, I think, have a tendency to do two extremes. We either live in the delusion where everything is just all rosy and wonderful, or we live in the opposite end, which is what? Everything's gloom and doom and the sky's falling, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's gloom and doom and the sky's falling. Well, Paul gives us an incredible sobering text here in my mind. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice them, and the God of peace will be with you. I'm going to tell you what. There is, there, is nothing, there is nothing that can happen to me during the day that, that a hug from Chloe when I get home <laughs> doesn't solve. Yeah. I mean, when I come through that door, I mean, you know, teenagers, I think it was Stephen, I think Stephen was the one that says your daughter will, she'll, she'll love you until she's 15, she'll hate you until she's 20, and then when she, she loves you again when you're 25, is that what she said, something like that? <laughs> well, well, a six-year-old, my six-year-old daughter, I mean, when I come home at night mm-hmm. in the afternoon and awesome. she hears that door close, I mean, it is sprinting toward me, daddy, 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 daddy. She jumps up, she wants to hug me, she wants to lay on the couch with me, she wants to follow me around. She wants to go outside. She wants to come in the shop. She just wants to go everywhere with me. Mm. And I mean, when I, awesome. when I think about her, how lovely she is, how pure she yeah. is. I mean, just, just the fact that God gave me, and I love my other children. Don't hear me putting them <laughs> down. But Chloe, she's little. And yeah. I mean, just the innocence in that and the love in that and the joy in that. It just, I go home. No matter yeah. what mood I'm in, she comes up. I'm, 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 ba- I'm back on it. I'm right there with you, man. Because <laughs> Hannah, too, Hannah does well. They both do sometimes. Abby sometimes gets preoccupied, but Hannah right now, she I'm her yeah. biggest fan, and yeah. I love it. Like it's, it's great, just it's it? it's amazing the Dang innocence of a child. Now a principle in here, just something for counseling. Sure. This is a this this actually these verses here are huge for counseling princi- uh, principles. Um, when you have uh, in your thought life something that is um, maybe it's a sinful thought pattern that you have going on in your life. You, um, you can't escape, maybe, this, this continual pattern that's, that's coming up in your, in your mind. No one else knows about it. You just know that it's just like maybe you're cussing someone while you're driving all the time, you know? I don't know what it is, but I'm just giving you an example. Uh, right? It's not me, I promise. I shouldn't promise, no. Um, but, but this gives you a great example here. Uh, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, and he goes through this long list, what we have to do with those evil thoughts, it's not just this process, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, okay, it's gone. Because what do you do? I mean, you're so honed in and focused on getting rid of it, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about it, right? That's how the mind works. And so what you've got to do is you've got to replace You've got to practice the theology of replacing your thoughts. That's right. You've got to rechannel and refocus your thoughts on what's lovely, what's pure. What, what is true about the situation that you're in? I'll give you one, for instance, that happens probably all the time. When you see a friend that you know that you're good friends and you see them talking to one of your other friends down the way, or maybe you see them in the grocery store, and they're talking over there, and you're not with them. They didn't text you and say, hey, we're going to the grocery store. Want to come with us? And, uh, or they're hanging out together, and you see them together, and you're like, I bet they're talking about me. It's always it, right? They're always talking about you. And it's like, it's like they're talking about me. They're going to unfriend me on Facebook, and we're done. We're done. I mean, they didn't invite me. And they're like, hey, you know, Cheryl's had a lot at work. We're just going to leave her alone. Let her do her thing. Let her get her some rest. Let's just go out together. Maybe they're shopping for her. You know, who knows? You know, maybe it's a birthday coming up. But they're like, they're talking about me. They hate my guts. Oh, my Lord. And what you got to do in that moment, you got to remind yourself what's true. Cheryl has to remind herself, well, first off, it's none of my business what they're talking about. It's, it's not any of my business. I don't know what they're talking about. It's unfair for me to assume. Love won't assume. 
that there's evil going on there. And you see, the gospel is beginning to change Cheryl's mind and she's starting to renew her mind with the gospel on what's lovely, what's true, what's commendable, what's worthy of praise. Praise God that they're hanging out together. I hope that they, I hope that they have a better friendship. You know, I know that Janice has had a lot going on in her life and, you know, she, she's had a much harder life than I have. And man, I hope, I hope that that's, that's medicine for her soul because I know that Nancy is a, is, is a, is a sweet, loving woman. Uh, it's been great being a friend of hers and I know, that, I know that Janice needs it. I mean, do you see the transformation that took when, when it started out? Man, they're talking about me to, you know what? This is okay. Yep. So just, just to give you an example of how to change and transform your, your thinking. Yeah. Be, be, be happy with where God has you, you know, just Amen. F- focus on his will for your life. And where he's... <sighs> Whoops. Okay. Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. Here we go. No, no, we went there. Dun, we went dun, there, dun, right? Dun, dun. So um, you go into the gym. The guy, you know, I go into the gym, right? <laughs> oh, oh, oh my goodness. Save yourself. And, uh, you know, you walk into the gym and you see, you know, you see Jim over there. God, that's terrible. Um, it's just what I thought of right away. And, uh, and so, and he's like benching like way more than you could ever dream of benching, right? And you're just like, and you see him and he's like, hey, hey Colton, how you doing? You know, he's like pressing it and you're just like, gosh, I hate Jim. He's, I just hate Jim. You know, he's just like, wait, is he chiseled abs, all this, man? I've got a flab going on. And then, you, and then you transform, you start to enact, and you start to think about it. And you start to say, Lord, eternity's coming. I'm getting a new bod, right? I mean, maybe, maybe you don't say it that way, but, but Lord, I'm, I'm going to get a new body one day. And, you know, like, I, maybe I could be happy for Jim. Jim is, I mean, that dude has 22-inch pythons. That's great. Praise the Lord, you know? I mean, and you know what? I'll invite Jim over whenever I'm going down a dark alley because, I mean, then no one's gonna mug me, right? Okay, so you just start to change your thinking. <laughs> that was not, okay, not to, okay, anyway, you get it. I tried to put it in the guy's perspective. Yeah, I, you, 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 you redeemed yourself. Okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. He redeemed Thanks, Wanese. All right. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. All right, the power of Christ satisfies, verses 10 and 12. But this is, and this is a great one, too. Mm, right, it kind of finishes up the letter, if you go there with uh, verse, uh, let's see. 10? No. Uh, yes, I think it is. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how that means whether you're ripped up with muscles or whether there you're There it is. Yep, that's right. <laughs> okay. To be content. Uh, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Excellent. Mm. So, so there, there would be content regardless of conditions. Don't fret over things. Christ is enough. Uh, the power of Christ supplies, verses 13 through 23. We just talked about that. Um, to be in Christ means salvation. To work through Christ means sanctification. To live for Christ means dedication. To surrender to Christ means consecration. To be with Christ means glorification. So let's go back and talk about all those shuns again. So to be in Christ means, say that with me, salvation, being saved, professing faith, believing, going from darkness to light, going from being cursed to being blessed, so forth. To work through Christ means sanctification. That is the process once you begin to be saved, walking with Jesus, 
uh, walking in this world, the, property, the, the, uh, the, the process of spiritual maturity, the process of making decisions that are in, both inside and outside the will of God, the discipline, as a, the fatherly discipline that God brings on you when you make those bad decisions, that whole lifelong process, you will go through periods of, of, um, of regression, you will go through periods of progression, but the fact of the matter is you're his, you're his workmanship, and overall, he is going to see you through. He's going to bring, it, bring, it, bring, bring you to completion mm. because it's in Christ, it's the work he's doing in you. Mm. To live for Christ means dedication. That means that we live our life for him. Not for anybody else, but for Jesus. To surrender to, surrender to Christ means consecration, and to be with Christ means glorification. When does that happen? At death is when it begins, and then at the second coming is when it's fulfilled. Okay? Paul ends this glorious letter with a gracious reminder. Uh, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All right? Questions? Y'all ready? No. Okay. Micah, Micah is, uh, has been taken back, and he is getting pain meds. And he is, a, he is at St. Thomas Rutherford, so mm-hmm. Micah is doing okay for those Praise of you who don't know. Yes, sir. Sir? What happened He broke his wrist this, this evening. He did. Micah. Micah with wrists like bigger than mine broke him tonight. Broke it tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? Every, that's, man, that's, isn't that great to hear yeah. the whole body answer that question? Absolutely. Can you give the central message? Viola got it. She just shouted it out. To live as Christ and to die as a game. What's another prevailing theme? What could be another theme you can think about? Joy? Sure. Yeah, joy's a good one. Where would you turn for help in talking to someone emotionally upset? Counselor? Ah. Yeah. Nice. Or 410. Yeah. Rejoice right, in is. the Lord always. Rejoice. Let, yep. your, let your reasonables be made known. Yep. That's it. All right. The end. Prayer request. Next week we will be in Colossians. So read up. Hopefully the reading is becoming easier for you because these are very, very uh, short, easy to understand letters. Um, Colossians has got some. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just heard you say something that you said easy to understand. Oh, did I? I'm sorry. It's very complicated. I I am very slow to understand. So. Okay. Yeah. So these, these are. Mediocrely hard to understand. Maybe we'll go go with that. All right. Before we pray, we've got prayer requests here. Um, I'll pray over them tonight, Colton. Okay. Sounds good. Break, brother. Yeah. Um, I say, why don't you do the announcements since I'm doing the prayers? Okay. Sounds good. All right. Nathan, Um, break this down, brother.